Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to begin with a story that if you're a regular listener, you know I'm quite passionate about this story. And I want to relate it nationally so that you have the full scope of the point I'm getting at. I was actually, I I went to dinner last night. Uh, The Georgia legislature is in session and I went to dinner with a member of the state legislature and I raised this issue with him. And despite me having talked about a lot, he's not a regular listener. Uh, He was unaware and I fully filled him in. The world's most prolific collector of child pornography is out of prison. He was serving a thousand-year sentence. Now, I'm going to pause here and say, many of you have heard me talk about this, and you're thinking, here he goes again. No, no, there's a larger different issue here, but this is a, a perfect example to get to what I'm talking about, so just follow along with me here. The world's most prolific collector of child pornography is out of prison He was serving a 1,000 years. How does one survive a 1,000 years and get out of prison? Well, because the Georgia Board of Pardon and Paroles let him out after seven years. Why did they let him out after seven years on a 1,000-year sentence? You should know the judge in the case sentenced him to a 1,000 years in prison, so it would be impossible for him to get out sooner than he was dead. And yet, this guy somehow managed. How so? According to the Board of Pardon and Paroles in Georgia, he did uh, performance enhancements or, or sentence enhancement credits of some sort that sped up his release. Now, for you to understand why they call him the world's most prolific collector of child pornography, he had, he had twenty-five to 27,000 not just pictures but also videos of children, not, not teenagers, not like late teens, but toddlers and children being raped, tortured, otherwise sexually abused. The man set up cameras in his office. He ran a TV station, and he set up cameras in his office to videotape the women who were using the bathroom in his office and their children when they would bring their children to work. At trial... They determined he had a um, compulsion to do this. It wasn't just something he did. He was compelled to do it. And he was sentenced to a 1,000 years in prison because of it. Two weeks after the appeals court in Georgia ruled that his sentence was not excessive given the extent of his crimes, the Georgia Board of Pardon and Paroles released him from prison. And he walks the streets of Atlanta, Georgia. The videos and images that he had in his possession were so graphic and vile, they are redacted. You cannot read the descriptions of what he had. 
because they are so monstrously vile. The acts depicted in the videos and the pictures of children. He roams the streets of Atlanta. I have talked about this issue for two years. The state legislature in Georgia has done exactly nothing. The governor of Georgia can't do anything about this issue other than appoint members to the Board of Pardon and Paroles. Before he was elected governor, the prior governor stacked the Board of Pardon and Paroles with friends, reappointed people. So when the new governor came in, he was unable to make any reforms until very recently he was finally able to put new people on the board, but they're still in the minority. The way the Georgia Board of Pardon and Paroles is structured, it's an executive agency that is not beholden to the governor. It's its own entity. It is only accountable to the legislature. It does not have to reveal publicly why it has chosen to pardon or parole anyone. Everything is secret. It says it's a model for the nation to keep corruption out. And yet, a member of the state Supreme Court and a member of the state Court of Appeals Several superior court judges and several district attorneys in the state of Georgia, when I started talking about this, all reached out and said the Georgia Board of Pardon and Paroles has a pattern and practice, key words for lawyers, you know, a pattern and practice of being light on child predators. They've told me, they've told members of the state legislature in Georgia And the state legislature in Georgia, on a bipartisan basis, has chosen to do exactly nothing. They have conducted no inquiries. They have engaged in no oversight. They have done exactly nothing to find out why the world's most prolific collector of child pornography has been released from prison within seven years of a thousand-year prison sentence. The man had more than 993 years left on his prison sentence, and they've released him from prison. Why? Why isn't the legislature curious? Why is the legislature not digging into this? Why do I have to repeat myself so often trying to get their attention? Why do I have to talk on background and at dinner with members of the legislature who are clueless, who've never heard the situation, who, who are baffled by it, who can't understand it? When the legislature has the power to investigate, the power to shape the budget, the power to impeach, Vinay Prasad. Yep, we're we're jumping. We I promise these stories are connected, but we're jumping for a second. We're going over to the CDC now. Vinay Prasad in Tablet Magazine, How the CDC Abandoned Science. The main federal agency guiding America's pandemic policy is the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which sets wildly adopted policies on masking, vaccination, distancing, and other mitigation efforts to slow the spread of COVID and ensure the virus is less morbid when it leads to infection. 
The CDC is, in part, a scientific agency. They use facts and principles of science to guide policy, but they are also fundamentally a political agency. The director is appointed by the President of the United States, and the CDC's guidance often balances public health and welfare with other priorities of the executive branch. Throughout this pandemic, the CDC has been a poor steward of that balance, pushing a series of scientific results that are severely deficient. This research, this research has plagued with classic errors and biases and does not support the press-released conclusions that often follow. In all cases, the papers are uniquely timed to further political goals and objectives. As such, these papers appear more as propaganda than as science. The CDC's use of this technique has severely damaged their reputation and helped lead to a growing divide in trust in science by political party. Science now risks entering a death spiral in which it will increasingly fragment into subsidiary verticals of political parties. As a society, we cannot afford to allow this to occur. Impartial, honest appraisal is needed now more than ever, but it is unclear how we can achieve it. The FDA continues to politicize approval of medicines. Even the vaccine, after the administration began clamoring for vaccine approval for kids two and under, there is actually no scientific evidence that the vaccines are effective for kids two and under, more so than anything else. And yet, because of pressure from the political establishment, they folded and approved them. And when you actually read the research papers, there really is no scientific evidence to show that it does any good. There's no evidence to show it harms, that's important, but none to show it's worthwhile. In November 2020, a CDC study sought to prove that mask mandates slowed the spread of the coronavirus. The study found that counties in Kansas, which implemented mask mandates, saw COVID case rates start to fall, while counties that did not saw rates start to climb. The data scientist Yu Yanggu immediately noted that locales with more rapid rise would be more likely to implement a mandate, and thus one would expect cases to fall more in such locations, independent of masking, as people's behavior naturally change when risk escalates. Gu zoomed out of the same data and considered a longer horizon, and the results were enlightening. It appears as if all counties did the same, whether they masked or not. The CDC has merely shown a tiny favorable section depicted in the red circle above and this graph I'm looking at, but the subsequent pandemic waves dwarf their results. In short, the CDC study was not capable of proving anything and was highly misleading, but it served the policy goal of encouraging cloth mask mandates. Now you should know the CDC is not wavering at all and is saying that it still insists on mask mandates even as communities around the country are ditching them. We know from the John Durham investigation that the FBI dramatically failed. We know from the Mueller investigation the FBI got hijacked by partisan interests designed to go get Donald Trump, even though there was really nothing there. All of these stories from the world's most prolific collector of child pornography being let out of a thousand-year prison sentence after just seven years to the CDC engaged in political pushing of quasi-scientific information in order to shape public opinion, to the FDA bowing to political pressure with the authorization of drugs, to the Mueller 
and Durham investigations showing the FBI has problems, all of them have a common strain. Our institutions are failing us. Our institutions are collapsing around us. And no one seems interested in fixing our institutions. No one seems interested in fixing the CDC. The Biden administration uses the CDC right now to advance its mission. They're not interested in fixing the CDC at a time the public doubts about public health are growing. The legislature in Georgia has no interest in fixing their board of pardon and paroles as the public's perception of crime rises and its perception of the government being derelict in its duty continues to grow. They have no interest in fixing the situation. The federal government has no interest in fixing the CIA or the FBI or the CDC or the FDA. Nobody has any interest whatsoever in fixing institutions, and it is not a coincidence that the trust in those institutions is now collapsing. The trust in institutions overall is collapsing. No one in the press has any interest in dealing reflectively or institutionally with the press. And so trust in the press collapses. At some point, everything collapses. If we don't start fixing, if you don't make the small changes now, you have to make big changes later. And those are harder to make. The legislature in Georgia could have an open public inquiry in why the world's largest collector of child pornography was let out of prison. They could have hearings. They could impeach. They could clean up the board of pardon and paroles to send a message. They choose not to. The president and the Congress could get involved to clean up the FBI and the CDC and the FDA and the CIA and all the other politicized bureaucracies, and they choose not to. Decline is a choice, and our political leaders across the board at the state and the federal level and our members of the media, they are making the choice to decline, and the decline begins with a loss of trust, and we have lost the trust of these institutions, and if they don't soon realize it and soon turn a corner, that trust is never going to be able to come back. I've mentioned this before, and it is worth saying again. In the year of the, what was it, the four emperors or the five emperors in Rome, as the Roman emperors were assassinated and slaughtered each other and assassinated and slaughtered each other, the Roman Empire maintained its stability because the bureaucracy continued to collect the taxes, continued to build the roads, and continued to keep the aqueducts in shape to flow the water. The harvest kept coming in because the bureaucracy functioned. So the Roman Empire could survive chaos at the top levels because the lower levels that propped up the top continued to function adequately and people trust the bureaucracy. We don't have that here. The foundations of the American Republic itself are crumbling due to a lack of trust and incompetence and bureaucratic inertia and grift. If we don't fix those, the whole house comes tumbling down, and no one at the state or federal level has any interest whatsoever in doing that. That's really a problem. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, they're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. We actually have Bull and Branch sheets, and yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad, but yes, 
I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like, and I love Bullenbridge. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads, and she wanted to try the sheets, and now they are the sheets in our house. Bullenbridge does not cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften, and they only use 100% sustainable raw materials. They're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your Bullenbridge sheets as they feel against your skin. They are so soft. They don't get too hot. They don't get too cold. They're just great, and every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BowlinBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. If you need access to big loans, six figures and up, reach out to First Liberty. We're talking $750,000 and more. They've been helping small businesses become really big businesses since the early 90s. Reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. Let's go to the phones. Keith, you're going to be up first. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Uh I was calling because of your last segment about the world's most prolific sex or a collector of child, porn, child yeah. pornography. Um, so my wife, I'm not going to say her name or where she works, but she works for the state, and I don't want to get her fired, but part of her job is riding to the, the Board of Pardon and Paroles to try and keep felons in jail. And uh, she helps victims after they're, they become victims and help them through, helps them through the process. Um, She's had cases where, she had one recently where a guy raped all three of his girlfriend's children, uh, one as young as two, and the board of pardon and parole is trying to release the guy after one year in jail. Um, another thing that the, the board is doing is uh, before they release a sex offender, they are supposed to release the sex offender. I mean, they're supposed to level the sex offender from level one, two, or three. They are purposely not doing that. So that way, that sex offender cannot be registered once they're released back to the state, once they're free. So listen, they're uh, doing that as well. I, I hope members of the legislature listen to us, Keith, because I've heard this from judges. I, what you're telling me, mm-hmm. I have heard this very same thing from judges and from district attorneys. Uh, I, I've heard it from victims' rights advocates outside the government. Uh, this is a huge problem. In fact, I had a, a member of the Georgia Supreme Court tell me that the luckiest criminals in Georgia are the child predators because the Board of Pardon uh-huh. and Parole goes light on them. They don't view them to be a threat. Uh, that's a member of the Supreme Court of Georgia said that to me. Uh, and yeah. it's it's a real awful problem. I'm, I thank you for calling in on that one. Um, uh, the, the rest of you, be patient on, on – oh, I don't have enough time here to get to another phone call, um, but I will on the other side on this issue and more. It's it's a real problem, and I hope those of you in Georgia where I know I've got a large audience, particularly on my flagship station, I still haven't figured out how exactly to balance doing a Georgia show and a national show together or um, what I have to do. But th- this is an issue that's got to be fixed. It's a real issue, and members of the Board of Pardon Paroles – uh, if if they're listing, they got to clean up their act. The legislature has the power to investigate. 
The legislature has the power to set their budget. The legislature has the power to impeach, and they've done nothing. And you've got members of the Supreme Court. You've got members of the Superior Courts of Georgia. You've got district attorneys around the state of Georgia. You've got victim rights advocates all saying child predators in the state of Georgia get off easy from the Board of Pardon and Paroles. And that is horrific, and it is happening. It's not a myth. It's not a rumor. It's not an urban legend. It's reality. And the world's most prolific collector of child porn is out of prison after seven years of a thousand-year prison sentence is proof. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on this here program? Now, I want to go back to the phones real quick. Uh, Hakeem, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Oh, let's see. Can I push the button right? Well, I don't know. No problem. Yep, there we go. How are you? Hakeem? Hello? Yep. Yeah, hey, brother. How are you? Real quick, I know you're doing a lot. You're exactly right about this parole board. It, but it's, if you think those five people are making decisions, the word out here on the street knows this. If you know a hearing examiner, you can get out because they make decisions. They make the decisions. It's corrupted from the, all the way from the top all the way to the bottom. Those those five members just rubber stamp most of the cases. They don't even review it. Okay. I know a mother who who got her son that was convicted a uh, sex offender. She had dinner with a parole board member. The parole board member promised her he would get her son out. He got set off 10 years by a hearing examiner. She called a parole board member and said, hey, you set my son off. He said, I haven't even seen the case yet. He went back and got the case from downstairs, brought it back upstairs, and paroled him the next week. Wow. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, you, again, I mean, the stories that, that people are telling me, the, the stories they're, the, I keep hearing from people, this is very striking to, to the stories I'm hearing. And listen, I, I, I want to be clear here. This is not just a Georgia problem. This is a problem around the country. This is a problem with uh, boards of pardon paroles and local bureaucracies, with police departments, with uh, school boards, with school systems. And our politicians are so busy posturing and so busy trying in in one way or another to impact us in uh, just silly ways, in performative ways, without actually fixing the problem. That uh, we as a people are going to have to fix, I guess, the legislative process and, and get the legislature to care. Uh, I mean, really, I, I, I do fundamentally believe part of the problem we have as a people in this country right now is that our politicians who are involved in fixing the problems for us, they are looking uh, at performative ways to excite us to entice us, to get us riled up, to get us fired up, to get us to show up with rage. And these issues don't work. Fixing bureaucracies is not sexy. Fixing bureaucracies is not impactful. Fixing bureaucracies isn't going to shake things up. 
fixing the small ball issues of government, fixing the issues of change, fixing the issues of how the bureaucracy functions. These, these are not the sexy issues that people want. These are not the issues that get people to say, oh, I'm going to vote for that guy. No, you vote for the guy because he's going to take out critical theory. You vote for the guy because he's going to do school choice. You vote for the guy for all sorts of reasons. You don't vote for those reasons, but somebody's got to. Somebody's got to actually say, hey, let's do all these other things, but also let's fix the problems institutionally. Let's fix the institutions. Um, I, if, if we could get there, that would be great. Let's go one more on this. Paul, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Yes, Eric. Um, I'm hoping there are some ministers. If this is not a moral issue, I don't know what would be. I, I, I am a truck driver, so I had time to think about these things, and I've been listening to you. I am so hot. I, I am so upset. My blood pressure can't be good right now, <laughs> yeah. but I'm telling you, uh, how can the church not get involved? I, I'm a committed Christian, and, and I don't hear about this kind of thing in church. This is the kind of thing, you know, prayer does change things. I know it does, uh, for one thing. But for another thing, when ministers start talking maybe to their legislators, I, I mean, I, I'm just so livid right now, I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I think a, a lot of churches, they abdicate on these issues because they say, well, it's politics, and I, I don't want to be accused of playing politics. But I, I think they should. Uh, but I also think it's, it's not just them. When constituents themselves start speaking up on these issues— I don't know that most people know. I mean, I I talked with a senior member of the legislature last night. I've talked about this issue repeatedly on the radio. And he was completely unaware. I don't expect people, well, you know, I know what my ratings are, so pretty much everybody does listen. But he actually, his, his, where he lives is outside my listening area. And I'm the only person on radio who talks about this issue. And I, I try to steer it in a different way than I used to now that I, you know, my show is now in, in national syndication and I don't want to bore people in uh, Kennebunkport, Maine with an issue out of out of Atlanta, Georgia. I got to be mindful of that. But it's a, it, man, it's a huge issue. The failures of the institutions and the parties and the, the amount of people involved the number of stories I hear it's it's a horrible issue I mean y'all just I've I've had I need to move on but I've had a couple of the victims talk to me about this guy they worked for him One of them, he filmed her in the bathroom. And another, he filmed her children. He not only filmed her children in the bathroom, but had a camera set up so he could film them sitting at a table from underneath the table. He was sentenced to a thousand years in prison. And they let him out after seven years. There's something really wrong with that. Oh, what the hell? I might as well go down this road now. 
society always has monsters. Every society has a monster. Have you ever seen the movies? What are the the few good M. Night Shyamalan movies? You know, M. Night Shyamalan, he did Sixth Sense. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this movie's such a success. Go do another movie. And I guess he, he did The Villages after that or The Village after that. And ultimately, he started making horrible movies. My kids and I, and I admit, I'm actually a big fan of the cartoon series, The Avatar. Not the later one with the lesbian, just the original one where they didn't go woke social justice warrior in your face sort of stuff. The original Avatar. It's awesome. It's an awesome cartoon. And so the the studios, M. Night Shyamalan and his kid loved the cartoon. They gave him free reign. It's one of the worst movies ever made. The worst movie ever made. Cartoon's awesome, but in the village. So the, the now spoiler alert: these kids live in a village from the 18th century, out in the middle of nowhere, and there are monsters in the woods. And if they stray too far into the woods, the monsters will get them. And it actually turns out uh, it is a commune. And the parents were a bunch of hippies who got uh, sick of society and decided to basically build this commune on a protected reservation uh, at the bequest of a of a billionaire. The land is protected, and the monsters are actually the parents. And when people get too too far, if they stray in or if the kids try to get away, they kill them. They don't want anybody off the commune. And ultimately, it's exposed, and it's it's. They live on this massive plot of land, and they're so powerful and stuff. They even they're able to to steer planes around. They had monsters; those monsters served a purpose. Every society has monsters. Every society has monsters, and oftentimes, the mythological monster is the monster of a moral warning, of a moral purpose, of a moral story. Who are our monsters? Oh, you say the child predators, but Jeffrey Epstein was friends with the rich and powerful. The world's most prolific collector of child pornography got out of prison after seven years on a thousand-year prison sentence. Michael Jackson still sells a lot of albums and he's dead. Who are our monsters in society? Joe Rogan? See, there's a difference here. The monsters are different between the people and the elite. The child predator is a monster for you if you're a parent. Joe Rogan telling people what the media doesn't want you to hear, he's a monster to the elite. Jeffrey Epstein was a friend of the elite. Jeffrey Epstein hung out with the elite. He was no monster to the elite. The mouth-breathing poor and middle class are monsters to the elite. They destroy the planet. The African nations are monsters to the elite. God forbid we ever let them have air conditioning and DDT to kill the mosquitoes and in malaria. Nope, we can't have that. They'd get too numerous and they would destroy the planet when they all got air conditioning. Started burning those fossil fuels. Can't have that. 
every society has monsters. The question is, which, which side are you on? You know, in, in Finland, in Finland, they are prosecuting a member of parliament in Finland and a, a bishop. They're actually prosecuting them. They won't go to jail if found guilty, but they will be fined. To the Finnish elite, they are monsters. The prosecutors are punishing that want to punish them. Do you know what their crime is? A member of parliament for the Christian Democrats is, is being uh, punished, being prosecuted. They seek a multi-thousand dollar fine and silence. Do you know what, do you know what this member of parliament's punishment is or why they're prosecuting her or why they're prosecuting the bishop? In 2007, in 2007, this member of the Finnish parliament published a book that quoted 1 Corinthians 5. She said things they don't like about the gays by quoting scripture. And the bishop, why is he being prosecuted? Because the woman wrote a pamphlet based on, on that biblical quote about homosexuality. And he left a copy in his church for people to read. You wish I was making that up. I'm not. Those are the monsters to the Finnish elite. The Christians who dared to deviate from worldly sexual ethic. Now, you can agree or disagree with them, but should they be prosecuted for literally quoting the scripture? That's actually part of the case is whether or not parts of the Bible can be quoted in public in Finland. Everybody's got a monster. Everybody's got monsters. The problem is, and, and this is why there's such a, this, this elite versus anti-elite dynamic in society now, is the, the monsters of the elite, the people they vilify on television, they're typically ordinary people. And the ones that they give a pass to are typically the ones you and I think of as monsters. I mean, look at how the media and the elite in the country treat Joe Rogan. And look at how many of them hung out with Jeffrey Epstein. The monsters, every society has a monster. But these days, one of the great divides in our society, one of the most interesting psychological, sociological, anthropological aspects of our society is that the ordinary American citizen and the rich elite who shape culture and society, they all have their monsters and they used to be aligned. Everybody used to have the same monsters, whether it was the commies or somebody, they all kind of agreed, and now there's a complete disconnect, and and you and I are worried about the prison system letting the pedophiles out, and they're having dinner with the pedophiles and giving them book deals. It's a problem. What's not a problem is the efficacy of the Eden Pure Thunderstorm at cleaning the air. We need to clean the air. We need to move on to other topics, too. But first, we need to tell you about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It is an air purifier. Right now, you can buy one, get one for free. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com. You click on uh, the, the or, I'm sorry, now they've changed their website, so they got a box. And it asks you for your discount code, and you put in Eric Bogo. You can click on my name as well. You'll see Eric Erickson there. But you can put Eric Bogo in, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O. You can click on that, and you'll see the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It's buy one, get one free. You put it in your cart, and at checkout, you see a box that says discount code, and you click the code, and you put in Eric Bogo, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O. You'll get one for upstairs, and you'll get a free one to carry with you. Put it in your car. They're very portable. You can hold them in your hand. Put it in your car, your RV, your hotel room. Put it downstairs. Put it in your basement. It gets rid of the bacteria, the mildew, the mold. It cleans the air. It eliminates odors. It does not mask the odors. 
It eliminates the odors, and that's key. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric Bogo. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go back to the phones. I want to go next to Amber. Thank you for being patient with me, Amber. How are you? Hey, Eric. I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. My comment is just to say, um, you know, just like you were saying, there are um, a lot of different monsters and a lot of different players involved when it comes to the court. And um, in my experience, um, you know, from mine was a civil case, uh, a custody battle, um, but from civil to criminal, um, guardian ad items, attorneys, law firms, they are all allowed to donate to the judges mm-hmm. who are running for office. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, look, when I was a lawyer, we used to have fundraisers in the law firm. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, this this is one of the issues at the state level. So the way it typically works in Georgia is the uh, governor appoints the judge, and then the judges have to stand for reelection before the voters. So they got to fundraise, and lawyers are allowed to give donations. And uh, a lot of states have elected judges. Some states are even worse. Some states, uh, the governor doesn't get to appoint people. Uh, when the seat comes open, there's got to be a special election. And, you know, at the federal level, the federal judges look on this very snottily and say, well, maybe you shouldn't be doing this, but do you want to hold your judges accountable or not? If you want to hold your judges accountable, they get to run for office. And if they get to run for office, then you get to write them a check. And a lawyer can't be uh, discriminated against and say, you know, you can't give them Money. Uh, it's it's the way the system works, and you and I can say the system is flawed in doing that, but it's the way the system works, whether you or I like it or not, uh, and it's not going to change unless you go to appointed judges who serve for life or serve for, for some number of years, and uh, that takes all sorts of constitutional amendments and mass, uh, machinations to get done. So I don't think you're going to get there. Now, when we come back, we gotta we got to move we got to move to something else because I want to actually spend some time in political analysis world. The Democrats have problems. The Republicans have problems too. There are a, a series of polls out and polls of the polls. That's where they, they take all the polls together and they see the trend lines. And I mean, it's worse for Democrats this year than it is for Republicans. We do need to be mindful of that. But the Republicans have some problems as well. And part of that is how do you navigate Donald Trump? And and where does it work for Trump? And where does it not work for Trump? And are voters burning out on Trump? There's some actually very interesting data out there on both sides of the aisle. And by the way, uh, just to, to cut to the chase in some of this, uh, in some states, you got to have Donald Trump's support to get elected. Uh, and, and the party members love him and the voters love him too. So how do you navigate that? It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. 
Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.